Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Streets of San Francisco. A Quinn Martin production. Starring Carl Malden. Also starring... Jimmy! I got one thing! Jimmy! Tonight's episode, Mr. Nobody. And that is who I am. You have Mr. Nobody right here. Welcome to episode number 1,253. It is a Tuesday. If you're listening to the day, this is uploaded May 23rd. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. That's so true. And right next to me is the hero of this episode and all the others in front of it. Yeah, all 1,252 others. Right next to me is Kimmy. She's strange, and I like it. She's strange, just the way she is. She's strange, walking down the avenue. She's strange, always doing something That is so true. She is strange, and I like it. Uh, hello, strange person. Hello. Remember, strange is a good thing. Okay. Yes, it is. And if you're strange... Hey, you're right at home with the Riley and Kimmy Show. That's right. We are the place for freaks, nerds, and even Kimmy doesn't like this word, but geeks. You're welcome too, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you circus geeks. You are welcome to listen to the Riley and Kimmy Show and partake in this world of nerdom that we enjoy and have embraced. By the way, tell your friends you found a place that offers a daily pop culture nerd variety. That's a key variety talk show. We talk about everything under the under the sun that's uh, nerd-related. We focus heavily on nostalgia and retro. Who knows what we'll focus on on this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Please visit our, our website and connect to all our social media links. As an example, Facebook. Tell your friends to uh, like our page. Help the show grow. And by the way, visit our website for nerd news, nerd links... Also, our event page of places where we will be taking it to the streets. You can find out those locations where we're taking it to the streets. Now, this is not in concrete, meaning it will be growing all the time. So check back and find out where we will be in 2017. We might be adding some of those 2018 dates. They uh, they have been confirmed, uh, but the uh, the cracked. Uh, promotional department, the marketing department of the Riley and Kimmy Show just has not placed those onto the the event page yet. I, I think they're shy to go into 2018. Now, if you have an upcoming event you would like us to be part of, pop culture event, the Riley and Kimmy Show in Florida can uh, can be there possibly. You know, feel, feel free to contact us about that. Also, if you have an animal event, pet event, we have a show specifically designed, yes, a side show that's just designed for animals and pets and it's called Animal Special. You can find all the links to our social media, those archived episodes, celebrity interviews, video interviews, photos, and so much more on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? 
RileyandKimmy.com. It is a Tuesday, Kimmy, May 23rd. Question for you. Would you like to play nerd and pop culture trivia today? Well, yes, of course. It is a May 23rd, a Tuesday. The timeline has been corrupted, meaning it is all over the place. It is out of whack. It's sort of like that uh, that rebooted Star Trek movie. It's been changed. No, not the, and the events actually haven't been changed. We just moved around the time. That's all we've done. The dates, that is. So, Kimmy doesn't have an easy time guessing things in a chronological or linear order. That's what we're talking about. It's it's kind of out of whack that way. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy if you think she might uh, might miss one when you hear the question. Yell at that laptop, desktop, whatever you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on. Maybe that smartphone. You can listen to us on so many different things because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. It's really cool when people tell us they take us to work with them. I, I love hearing that, that they listen to us in the car or truck or on the donkey. However they get to work, bus, whatever. I always, uh, it always makes me quite happy to hear that. We're here to get you away from everything for just a little bit with some pop culture escapism. Here we go. It is a Tuesday, May 23rd, and we're going into the serious part of trivia here with Kimmy's very first question, something she's going to dread because it's it's actually serious trivia, Kimmy. Are you prepared? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Okay. Remember, this is one of those really serious questions here. Let's hope you can get oh, it here. Okay. You might have studied it in uh, up in that ice school you went to, Igloo Elementary. Okay. okay. Get serious. Yes. Get, okay. Get serious. Here we go. The year 17. 85. This individual, this famous person, wrote in a letter that he had invented bifocals. Who is it? Told you, this is a tough one. Ben Franklin? Oh, you just held back there to build the suspense. I see how you are. You use that pause there like the, the famous Jack Benny used to do. Very good, Kimmy. Yes, it was. Benjamin Franklin, 1785, who invented the bifocals. It was on this date, Kimmy, 1960. This song was recorded. Yes, it is pre-Beatles. Kimmy does not like it. Well, she likes some songs, but it's hard for her to sometimes identify songs that are pre-Beatles, pre-Rolling Stones, pre-British Invasion. But let's just see if she ever listened to the oldie stations, One of at least one of the oldie stations I worked at many years ago, because this was played there. Here is your audio clue. Identify the recording artist, Kimmy. Clown, 1960, it was recorded and became a hit for whom? I don't know. No, it was not that group. It wasn't, don't, I don't know. No, it, it wasn't them. It was the Everly Brothers. You've heard of the Everly Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. All right, 1960, that was their song. It was 1876, Boston's Joe Borden pitched the very first no-hitter in the history of the National League. It was 1879, the first U.S. veterinary school was established. It happened to be in Iowa at Iowa State University. 
1922, Daylight Saving Time was debated in the first debate ever to be heard on radio. Boy, I bet that was fun to listen to, don't you? <laughs> I think we should turn the clock back. No, we should turn it forward. No, we should leave it alone. I bet that was really fun. Yeah. Still, I wish they just left it one time. See, I don't like to flip forward, back forward. Mm. Just leave it something, you know, just across the board. It was on his date in 1934 in Louisiana. Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow were ambushed and killed by Texas Rangers. The bank robbers were riding in a stolen Ford Deluxe. Have you ever seen any movies or anything about them, or do you ever really care about that stuff? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. Like, wasn't Warren Beatty the one who played uh, mm, way back when? I think so. Yeah. i never seen that, to be honest. Mm. 1938, Life Magazine's cover pictured Errol Flynn as a glamour boy. That was in 1938. Hey, that might be a collectible to find, you know, those mm-hmm. Life Magazines, right? Yep. It's 1962, the National Basketball Association, NBA, agreed to transfer the Philadelphia Warriors to San Francisco, California. Now, the team became the San Francisco Warriors, but later became known as what, Kimmy? Basketball. Hmm. I don't know. Golden State Warriors. It was on this date, 1962, Joe Pepitone of the New York Yankees set a Major League Baseball record by hitting two home runs in one inning. It was 1962, Scott Carpenter orbits Earth three times in the U.S. Aurora 7 ship. What? What missions was this, Kimmy? Was this the Alpha mission? Was this the Mercury mission, Gemini, or Apollo? Mercury? That is correct. It was on his date in 1964. This individual did a cover of the Beatles' Can't Buy Me Love. Now, it hit number 34 in the UK. She was the first artist to chart in the United Kingdom with a Beatles cover. Kimmy, we have an audio clue, and then I have like a non-audio clue in case you need it. Here is the audio clue. I'll buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. For I don't care too much for money, for money can't buy me love. Now, Kimmy, can you identify who that is? No. All right. Now, here's the only other clue I have for you. Probably, I think it was in the 1970s, this individual was part of a television commercial campaign for maybe into the 80s, but definitely into the 1970s. For a audio tape manufacturer, is it real or is it Memorex? Is it live or is it Memorex? Who is she? Ella Fitzgerald? That is right. That's Ella Fitzgerald, 1964. She had that hit, first uh, cover artist in the United Kingdom of the Beatles. It was on his date in 1969. This group released the album Tommy in the United Kingdom. Who is it? The Who. That's correct. It was on his date in 1971. This band broke up. Now, by the way, they did have a top 40 hit that somehow managed to hit number 30 on the charts in 1968. The original, it wasn't even a single, the original song was 17 minutes plus long on an album, but they trimmed it down to release it as a 45 single. Yes, the original was over 17 minutes long, and they edited it down to 2 minutes and 53 seconds. Now, tell me who this group is, Kimmy. They broke up in 1971, but they are considered the the grandfathers of heavy metal. They are considered 
extremely important because they caused the transition from psychedelic music to the world of heavy metal. See if you can identify the the hit, okay? Can you identify what some consider one of the first heavy metal songs? Um, in the God of Eda. In a God of Eda, don't you know that I'm loving you? In a God of Eda, baby, don't you know that I'm that is correct. Now, Kimmy, can you tell me what the real title was supposed to be, but the lead singer was a little bit uh, conditioned not to be able to say things correctly. He was slurring. What was the original title for that hit record? In the Garden of Eden. That's correct. Now, bonus points if you can identify the name of the group that broke up on this date in 1971. I can't. Uh, you've done enough. You you win this, this one. It was Iron Butterfly. Uh, who won that? Now they're considered like the the you know the grandfathers of heavy metal. It was 1979. Kiss released the album Dynasty. 1979. Tom Petty filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. It was 1994. Pulp Fiction won the Golden Palm for Best Film at the 47th Cannes Film Festival. Moving over to celebrity and notable birthdays, Douglas Fairbanks Sr., born on this date, 1883, died 1939 at the age of 56. He is best known for his swashbuckling roles in silent films such as The Thief of Baghdad, Robin Hood, The Mark of Zorro, but spent the early part of his career making comedies. He was a founding member of the United Artists. Fairbanks was also a founding member of the Motion Picture Academy and hosted the first Oscar ceremony in 1929. On December 12, 1939, Fairbanks had a mild heart attack. He died later that day at the age of 56. Fairbanks' famous last words were, quote, I've never felt better, unquote. Hmm. Moving over. Somebody else born on this date in history, Artie Shaw. Do you know who he is, Kimmy? It's familiar. Artie Shaw, born 1910, died at the age of 94. He was an American clarinist, composer, band leader, and actor, widely regarded as one of jazz's finest clarinists. <laughs> Artie Shaw's Nightmare, which you might have, uh, if you weren't familiar with Artie Shaw, you might have seen the movie Aviator. They use that when uh, when Howard Hughes is kind of melting down a little bit. Artie Shaw led one of the United States' most popular big bands in the late 1930s, right through the early 1940s. Now, he was married eight times, Kimmy. Mm. Do you think he's a little difficult, maybe? Mm -hmm. Eight times he was married to actress Lana Turner from 1939 to 1940. Actress Ava Gardner from 1945 to 1946. And in 1940, 
Shaw briefly dated actress Judy Garland. Hmm. And there's a list that we could fill up for a good half hour of those he was involved with. And those other marriages, usually one year is what it looks like they lasted. <laughs> one wow. year of Artie and it was over. <laughs> yes. Moving over to the next person, born 1910, died 1986 at the age of 76, Kimmy. Singer, dancer, musician, and actor. Here is your audio clue. Identify who this is who was born on this date in 1910. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it Shiny. That should be a good clue for you, Kimmy. Tell me who the hero, actually, from The Shining, because he was a hero in the, the movie. Tell me who that voice belongs to. Scatman Crothers. That's right. Born 1910, died 1986 at the age of 76. He was also a voiceover artist, provided voice of Metalark Lemon in the Harlem Globetrotters animated TV series, Jazz, the Autobot in Transformers, and the Transformers the Movie 1986. And he was also Scat the Cat in the animated Disney film The Aristocats, one of Kimmy's favorites from 1970. You, you remember him that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, he was also part of a Saturday morning cartoon, one of my favorite cartoons. I think Kimmy actually despises it. Can you tell me the cartoon he was part of on Saturday mornings in the 70s? Um. And he sang the theme song. It's, yep. mar it's martial arts based. I, will yep, I, I, I know. I'm Come trying on, to think me. of the name of it. Oh, it's one of my favorites. I, I used to have some of the comic books, too. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me who he is? Or what character? Um, yes. Wow. Yeah. He I'm was a janitor. John a blank. In his, uh, you know, secret identity. I know what a, it is. He was a janitor at the police station. Hong Kong Fui. Who is this superhero? Sarge? No. Rosemary, the telephone operator? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? Could be. Hong Kong Pooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Pooey, quicker than the human eye. He's got style of movie style and a pop that just won't stop. When the going gets rough, he's super tough with a Hong Kong Pooey chop. Hong Kong Pooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Pooey. Oh, I loved Hong Kong Fui. Kimmy just, uh, uh I, I, yeah, come on, the song alone made it cool, right? Hong Kong Fui. Mm. Yeah, I loved Hong Kong Fui. That was from the height of uh, Kung Fu and martial arts in America, actually, that time period. John Payne, born on this date, 1912, died 1989 at the age of 77. American film actor who was mainly remembered for film noir, a lot of crime stories, and the 20th Century Fox musical films, and for his leading role in Miracle on 34th Street and the NBC Western TV series The Restless Gun. I have a feeling you've never seen The Restless Gun. That's okay, Kimmy. Mm. We have some older listeners to the Riley and Kimmy show who I'm sure have seen The Restless Gun, just like uh, Tom Raup. He's one of our real old listeners, you know, mm. the show promoter of the Daytona Beach Comic Book Convention. Yeah, I'm sure. He, I bet he's a groupie of that show. Actually, a big fan. 
Mm. Yeah, the restless gun. It was on this date. Rosemary Clooney was born in 1928, died 2002 at the age of 74. Can you tell me who her famous nephew is? And that would be George Clooney. Yeah, that's right, Kimmy. That's uh, that's his aunt, and, well, she's his nephew. I guess that's the way it works. She was an American singer and actress. She came to prominence in the early 1950s with a song, Come on a My House. Come on to my house, my house. I'm going to give you candy. Come on to my house, my house. I'm going to give you apple, plum, and I forgot to do it. Come on to my house, my house. Come on. Come on to my house, my house, come on. Come on to my house, my house. I'm gonna give you figs and dates and grapes and cakes. Eh? Come on to my house, my house, come on. Yeah, that that one right there. Come on to my house. That's Rosemary mm-hmm. Clooney. I bet you don't have that on your MP3 player. No. Oh, shame on you. Give me the next person, an actress who is credited with the success of this, well, nighttime soap opera which was the most watched television show in the United States during 1984 to 1985's broadcast season. Can you tell me the name of the show? She played Alexis Colby on it. Here's your audio clue. I think we've given Kimmy enough time because she's really smart. I don't know if she watched this show. It had a lot of hair pulling. Yeah, it had cat fights and things like that on it. A famous fight between this actress and Linda Evans on there. Uh, and they really actually hurt each other sometimes, not not on purpose, but they actually got into their roles so much. Tell me the name of the person. First of all, tell me the name of the TV show we're talking about, the mystery show. Well, I never watched it, but I think it's Dynasty. That is correct. And tell me who the actress is who played Alexis Colby. Um, Joan Collins. That's right. You're correct, Kimmy. She also guest starred in an episode of Star Trek in 1967 called The City on the Edge of Forever, one of my favorites. Harlan Ellison's script that got butchered. You, can, By the way, you can find the original. It's been, uh, been published what the original script was. And she played Edith Keeler. And then in 1967, she played on Batman as a villain. I, I love her in this role. She had actually kind of a risque outfit for the time period. I'm kind of surprised uh, they allowed it. She played the siren in the episode Ring Around the Riddler and the Whale of the Siren. Yeah, that is Joan Collins. Kimmy, Kimmy got that right. So on this date, another person having a birthday or born on this date in history is Lauren Chapin. Now, you probably don't know who she is, do you, Kimmy? No. She is 72 years old today, but she is a former child actress most remembered for her role as the youngest child on a certain show. Her nickname on the show was Kitten. Do you know the name of the TV show from the 50s? Father Knows Best. Robert Young and Jane White. With Eleanor Donahue, Billy Gray, and Lauren Chapin. In Father Knows Best. Kimmy must have watched that show. I don't know how she would have known Kitten or Kathy Anderson. Uh, her nickname was Kitten. How did you know that? Come on. Did somebody shout that I out was, to you? No, I was exposed to it, but I didn't sit and watch it. I well, mean, I may have seen parts, okay. parts of it. Well, she was on that show from 1954 to 1960, and she was awarded five junior Emmys for Best Child Actress, but life was not good after leaving it. 
because she was typecast and could not find work and her mother was an alcoholic and there was all kinds of problems at home. She got married at the age of 16, divorced at 18, became a drug addict, turned to prostitution to support her habit and was sent to a psychiatric institution. She got, you know, got everything straightened out, though. She currently manages singers and actors and performs in a live, interactive version of Father Knows Best for cruise lines, conventions, and other events. Hmm. There, there you know. Okay? And I think that's a kind of a, a thing to actually focus on because sometimes people wonder why actors or actresses do conventions, even smaller conventions. They're like, well, they were on TV back in 1961. Well, there's a reason. Number one, we, we've interviewed somebody. I, I, I won't, eh, I'll tell you who it is. It's Butch Patrick. We have him on interview, and you can find that on our website. Uh, one of our interviews with Butch, we, uh, I actually asked about that. How, many, how long did the residuals from the Munsters play out? And he talks about that. It wasn't that long, and that money was gone. Even though the property might be making money itself on things, he personally was not. It was done. He got the last check and move on. Mm. And so that's why a lot of them do that. Some to stay relevant, but some it's they, that's their source of income mm-hmm. right there. And I, I think people don't realize that. We've heard that before in you know in people standing in line to meet somebody before. You know? mm, yeah. Yeah. We've and they're like, well, they're rich. Why are they charging? You know, <laughs> whatever. We, we've heard that. And by the way, whatever they are charging, that sometimes is is divided up. Among other people, it might be divided to a, an agent, might be going a portion to the show promoter who's putting on the event. And if it's a photo type situation, some money's got to go to the photographer. So if you're paying, let's just use it as an example, $50 for that photo, that special photo op, not a selfie, but a special photo op, part of that money is going, it's being cut up. Mm-hmm. Not all bulk going to the celebrity. Next person, Kimmy, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Having a birthday. What professional sport is he known for? Oh, basketball? No. Marvelous Marvin Hagler is known for boxing. He mm. competed from 1973 to 1987. He is 63 today. Easy trivia time for Kimmy. Next person is an actor, but really now known for being a game show host. He has hosted this game show since two. 2007. Identify the game show and then tell me who that host is who's having a birthday today. Okay, I think that's enough. Kimmy, you should be able to identify that game show. What is the game show? The Price is Right. That is correct. Now, who is the current host? He's been doing it since 2007. Drew Carey. That's correct. How old? Is Drew Carey today within five years? 52. Drew Carey would give you the biggest hug, Gimme. Matter of fact, he'd probably do a Richard Dawson to you, maybe. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> anyway, yes, he would. Uh, he's 59 today. Okay. And Drew Carey truly is an inspiration. Uh, he fought diabetes and poor health and was told he'd probably be dead. I think it was by 45, 46, something like that. Mm. Um, uh, Takes seven years, probably 52, 51. It was right when he started... Uh, taking over the prices right and he made a change the studio didn't tell him to make a change he chose to because his father had passed away at an early age and so did his grandfather and he was a new dad and he wanted to be around for his kid and so he made changes and he stuck with it and has done very well and one of the and also i was going to say one of the other things to be commended on is he stuck with the show too and they stuck with him because if you look at those first mm. uh, episodes that, that was rough 
mm-hmm. but for him, I feel very sorry for him. He was extremely nervous. You can see it in his hands. You can see it. He, not the voice so much, but the hands and things like that. And I have that archived just to look at, not to be torturous, some, because it, it's a good example of somebody who does not give up and did improvement and did improve. And when you look at that, that first episode, which we do have archived, I think we have the first week of The Price is Right uh, saved, is they had done run-throughs. They had done dry runs. They'd done practice runs. So he knew the games and things like that. And this is what you got as the premiere, which is the pressure he had to be under was just mm-hmm. incredible. That's Drew Carey. We're talking about having a birthday today. He is 59. Next person having a birthday is Melissa McBride. She is 52, actress best known for her role as Carol on The Walking Dead. Next person, a singer, Kimmy. She received four Grammy Award nominations and has sold over 30 million albums worldwide. Tell me how old she is once you identify her. We have two, that you count them, two, Kimmy. Audio clues if they're needed. If we don't, that's great. If you can do it in just one. Identify who the birthday person is. Here is a song that reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks in 1997. Kimmy, who is that person having a birthday? Jewel. That is exactly right. How old is Jewel today within five years? Uh, 44. Uh, you got it. Uh, she is 43 today. Moving over to another section of trivia. I see dead people. It is notable deaths today, Kimmy. We're moving over to. It was on his date in 1868. Kit Carson, American frontiersman, army officer, dies of an aneurysm at the age of 58. It was 1937, John D. Rockefeller, co-founder of Standard Oil Company, and the world's first billionaire, dies at the age of 97. It was 1981, George Jessel, American actor, singer, dies at the age of 83. 1986, Sterling Hayden dies at the age of 70, American actor, played Johnny Guitar, The Asphalt Jungle, The Killing, played General Jack D. Ripper in Dr. Strangelove in 1964. Did you ever see that? No. And he also played the policeman Captain Mikulski in Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. I'm sure you've seen that. Mm-hmm. Moving over to somebody else who passed away on this date in history, 1999 in Kansas City, Missouri, Owen Hart, otherwise known as Blue Blazer, died when he fell 90 feet while being lowered into the WWF wrestling ring. He was 33 years old. Mm. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job on this Tuesday. A real good job, matter Thank of fact. You. And we're going to do a two-for-Tuesday honor of something from trivia with a golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's a Riley and Kenny show. Anytime we go back to the golden age of radio, to the theater of the mind, we take that opportunity. And we have something here, two examples of the golden age of radio with actor John Payne, who we just talked about. We have an example. One episode called Two Sharp Knives from 1945, and then Age of Innocence from 1944. Both episodes, well, they're back-to-back uninterrupted, and they're safe for all ages. That's right, safe for little ears. Let's go back in time 
with John Payne on the Riley and Kimmy Show. And with the performances of Mr. John Payne as Scott Anderson and Mr. Frank McHugh as Wally Shane, Roma Wines hope indeed to keep you in suspense. Shortly after 2 a.m., a poker game was breaking up at Ben Camsley's, the doctor coroner of Deerwood City. Scott Anderson, Deerwood's efficient chief of police, and Wally Shane, his easygoing assistant, were just about to leave. Oh, talk about thieves. Our own chief of police committed nothing less than larceny, the way he won that last part. Yeah. yeah. And having won it, I noticed he's losing no time in making off with the swag. Shots, oh. why don't you boys just break down and admit you don't know how to play like old Professor Scott here? What? You couldn't win a poker hand if it was on a punch board. Come on, Wally, let's get out of here before these amateurs break my heart. Okay, Scott. Scott, anything you say. Where are we heading for, Chief? <sighs> Just across the street, Wally. Railroad station. Oh, shucks. Aren't you afraid of the excitement? Don't you think that watching the 211 come in is apt to be too much for your blood pressure? Well, if it is, Wally, you can always carry on. You've been a fair imitation of an assistant to me for some time now. Yeah? Yeah. If anything happens to me, you'd be Chief. Don't worry, it won't be any harder to, for you to fool the public as chief. Hi, Elmer. Huh? Oh, howdy, Scotty. Well, hello, Wally boy. Hi, Elmer. Say, it's kind of late for you bees to be around, ain't it? Hmm? Oh, I don't know. We sort of figured we'd put the town to bed tonight. Hmm? How's it to 11? On time? Right on the nose, Wally, right on the nose. She ought to be blowing for the bend in just about, um, three seconds now. By golly, she fooled me. She's early. That's her now. Why, are you expecting anyone on us, Scotty? No, Elmer, I'm not expecting anyone. Mm-hmm. Well, then I just thought we'd mosey over and watch her come in, that's all. You know, Elmer, you can never tell who might get off, though. Jesse James or Jack the Ripper or even your Aunt Gussie. Yeah, I guess you're right, Wally. Well, here she be. Pardon me, Jesse, but i got to be rolling the wagon out to the baby store. Yeah. How's it going? Oh, I can't complain. I can't complain, Cap. Well, maybe you can, Elmer, but I sure can. You hold us up with that freight there. How much more? No, no. This, this is the last piece now. Oh. Well, there you are, Cap. It's all done. Okay, see you tomorrow, Elmer. Oh. Hey, Scott, do you see what I see? If you mean do I see the man who just got off that train, the answer's yes. Well, he's a ringer for the guy we got that circular about. Uh-uh, that is the guy. Well, then, what do we do now? We take him, Wally. Let's go. Whatever you say, Scott. Here he comes, over toward the taxi stand. Driver, I, I want to go to the Deerwood Hotel. I... Oh, never mind. I see the hotel sign just a few blocks down the street. Uh, sorry, I- I'll walk. Hello, Furman. Hmm? Oh, I I don't believe I've... You're Lester Furman, aren't you? Yes, I am. Philadelphia? Uh, yes. I'm Scott Anderson, chief of police here in Deerwood. I... What? What's happened to her? Happened to who? Oh, no, you don't. If you think you can pull that sort of stuff with me, you're very much mistaken. I... Now, look, Pop. Okay, Take Scott. It. You're silly. Let me get a crack at that mug. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, gentlemen. Hold it, Wally. Hold it up. Well, Furman. I... I'm sorry for a moment there. I thought that you weren't really a policeman. Thanks. Guess I look almost human in civvies. <laughs> Until 
Until I saw the other gentleman's uniform, I thought you were a hold-up man, Mr. Scott. Mm. Then never mind the thanks. Uh, it was silly of me. I'm sorry. Well, let's get going before anything else happens. Are, are you taking me to police headquarters? Mm-hmm. What for? Philadelphia. I... I don't think I understand you. You understand you're wanted in Philadelphia, don't you? I'm wanted in Philadelphia? Yeah. Got a cigarette? Huh? Oh, yes, of course. Here you are. What am I wanted for? Murder. Here we are. Here's the circular on Lester Furman. It was sent out by the Trans-American Detective Agency in Philadelphia. $1,500 reward for the arrest and conviction of Lester Furman, alias Lloyd Fields, alias J.D. Carpenter, for the murder of Paul Frank Dunlap in Philadelphia on December the 8th, 1942. Oh, no. Take a look at it. Well? It's a lie. You're Furman, aren't you? Yes. The photograph reproduced in the circular is a picture of you, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is, but I, I, I can't here, understand... Here, 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 you better it? sit down. I... Oh, well, what we got here? We got Lester Furman. Oh, that Philadelphia... You lucky stiffs. Now you and Wally spent a grand and a half reward, though. Jeez, I've never seen nothing like it. If it ain't vacations in New York at the city's expense, it's reward, Muller. George, someday, if you don't remember you're the jailer around here and not the DA, you're going to be wearing your teeth on the outside of your lip and I'll be the guy who arranged it that way. You understand? Oh, just because you caught a guy who's hot in Philadelphia. It's a lie. I never killed anybody. I won't be framed. I won't be oh, framed. Oh, shucks. Take it easy, Furman. Save it for the Philadelphia police. We're just holding you for them. If anything wrong, it's there, not here. But but it's not the police. It's the trans-American detective. Mr. Anderson, I... I, I... I suppose you're sure there's nothing I can do. There's nothing anyone can do till morning. All right, George, you take Furman now and lock him up. Come along, darling. We ain't had nobody in our little hoose car for three days running. You'll have it all to yourself, just like a suite at the Ritz. Well, good night and thank you. Make him as comfortable as you can, George. If he wants anything sent in, okay. He's valuable, huh? Now, if some bum didn't mean a nickel to you... Maybe I ought to take a pillar off my own bed for him. Yeah, nuts. He's just like the rest of them to me. Shut up! Perhaps you forgot my remark about your teeth a while back, George. Any day now, I'm going to forget your uncle's county chairman and throw you back in the gutter just to see how high you'll bounce. Remember that. Do all the talking you want, but do what I tell you. Oh, shucks, Scott. George don't mean nothing. He's just money mad. Okay, okay, I'm going home now. If it's anything urgent, I can be reached there. But I don't want to be disturbed unless it's urgent. Hello. Hello. Scott, this is Wally. Yeah, Wally? Oh, what time is it? It's five after six in the morning, and you'd better come right down, Scott. That fellow Furman's hung himself. What? Hung himself? Yeah, by his belt from a window bar. Deader than a mackerel. I'll be right in, Wally. Phone Ben Camsley, tell him I'll pick him up on the way down. Oh, shucks. No doctor's gonna do Furman any good now. Well, it won't have him hurt to have him looked at. You better phone the county court at Douglasville, too, and file a routine report. I already did that. And what's more, hold on to your seat. The DA's on the way over. 
in person. The DA. I'll be there before you hang up. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as stars Mr. John Payne and Mr. Frank McHugh, whom you've heard in the first act of Two Sharp Knives by Dashiell Hammett, which is Roma Wines' presentation tonight of Suspense. Now, Roma Wines bring back to our soundstage John Payne as Scott Anderson, Deerwood City Chief of Police, and Frank McHugh as Assistant Chief Wally Shane in Two Sharp Knives, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. Come on in, Chief. Good old Ted Carroll, the DA's here, and he's plenty hot under the collar. Yeah, what's he burning about? Oh, he's just mad. He's run up quite a phone bill for us, too. Been calling Philadelphia every couple of minutes since he got here. What kept you so long? I, um, I couldn't get my car started. Well, let's go in. Hello, Ted. Listen, Scott, what is all this? Oh, what? This, this fiddly-dee, this hanky-panky. I suppose you mean Furman. Wasn't it suicide? Sure, it was suicide. I just telephoned Transamerican, dug a guy out of bed there. They phoned me just a few minutes ago and said they'd never send out any circulars on Furman. Oh? They didn't want him for murder or anything else. All they knew about him was he used to be a client of theirs. I don't know what to say, Ted. I, I... don't either. What on earth kept you so long, Scott? A uh, car stall. Came as quick as I could. Well, what makes you so edgy, Ted? Oh, nothing. I guess it's just the district attorney in me. Oh, shucks. Gents, if you're not careful, you're liable to give the impression that you two don't like each other. <laughs> okay, okay, Wally. I'll quit if he will. Tell me what's wrong, Ted. Well, there's plenty wrong, Scott. Everything's wrong. First, that trans-American thing. They never sent out any circulars about Furman. And I'll get this. I talked to the Philly police just before you came in. There wasn't any Paul Frank Dunlap murder down there that they know about. They've got no unexplained murder for December 8th, 1942. What did you get out of Furman before you let him hang himself? Only, well, that he was innocent. Well, didn't you grill him? Didn't you find out what he was doing in town? Wally, didn't you? Oh, shucks. What for? He admitted his name was Furman. The circular description fitted him. The photograph was him. Trans-American detective agency supposed to be on the level. Philadelphia wanted Furman. We didn't. But, Scott... Oh, sure, Ted, sure. If I'd known he was going to hang himself, but... Then if your aunt wore pants, you'd be your uncle. You said Furman had been a client of Trans-American. Then tell me what kind of a job they were doing for him. Well, his wife left him a couple of years ago, and he had them hunting for her for five or six months, but they never found her. They're sending a man up here tonight to look things over. They are, huh? Yes. Hmm. And I might as well tell you, Scott, they're going to raise plenty of trouble over this. Yeah, yeah, I know that, Ted. There usually is trouble when somebody dies in a jail cell. Yeah, yeah, come in. They told me I'd find you here. I'm Carl Rising, assistant manager of Trans-American Detective Agency in Philadelphia. This is Mr. Wheelock, who was Lester Furman's personal How attorney. Do do? How do you do? Glad to know you, Mr. Rising. Mr. Wheelock, this is Wally Shane, my assistant. How are you? How do you do? I know you gentlemen are already in possession of most of the details concerning Mr. Furman from the time he arrived in Deerwood until the time of his death. But perhaps you don't know that the police of most towns in our corner of the state 
have also received copies of this reward circular. Hmm? Get it for him, will you, Walling? Here you are. Why, this, this circular is a forgery. Well, mm -hmm. you're sure it's a forgery, Mr. Oh, Rising? Oh, yes, yes, there's no doubt about it. And it's an excellent forgery. The paper, style, and type are almost exactly like those we use at Transamerica. Almost, but not quite. Well, what do you know? A forgery. Tell me, Mr. Wheelock, was Mr. Furman a native Philadelphian? Oh, my, yes. He was well-known, respectable, prosperous citizen of Philadelphia. Married, wasn't he? In 1934, he married a 22-year-old girl named Ethel Bryan, daughter of a Philadelphia family. And the Furmans had a child, isn't that right, Mr. Wheelock? Yes, born in 1936. But the child lived only a few months. Mrs. Furman's wife disappeared after the child's death. What year was it she disappeared? Mr. Rising should remember that. His, his agency worked on that matter. Yes, I remember it very well. Mrs. Furman disappeared in 1937. We never heard anything of her again, although Furman spent quite a lot of money trying to locate her. Furman never divorced her, huh? No, sir. I should say not. He was very much in love with her. And he seemed to think that the kids dying made her a little screwy so that she didn't know what she was doing. That's right, isn't it, Mr. Wheelock? <clears throat> well, uh, that is my belief, Mr. Rising. You said Furman had money, Mr. Wheelock. How much did he have, and who gets it? I should say his estate will amount to perhaps a half a million dollars left in its entirety to his wife. His wife, huh? Mm -hmm. Hmm, that's quite a handy sum for anyone to have, huh, Wally? Yeah. Tell me, do either of you know why Furman came to Deerwood? No, I don't. No. Oh, shucks, you're his attorney, Mr. Wheelock. Don't you know if he told his servants or his office employers or someone why he came here? I know of no one of whom he told, and I can't see that these questions of yours are getting us anywhere. Why do you persist in asking them? Because, Mr. Wheelock, everything shows that somebody framed Furman into the Deerwood jail. And that frame-up drove him to suicide. Nothing shows anything else. And there has to be something else. A lot else. Well, Chief, what do we do now? I'm going across the street to Fritz Undertaking Parlor. Maybe I'll find something else there. <laughs> Find anything at the undertaking parlor, Scott? No, not much. Well, I was over there myself just after you left, and I did. You did? What? Well, I saw these. Save it, Wally. Come in. Hello. Am I butting into anything here? Oh, shucks, no. You know the coroner's report is always welcome at a time like this, Doc? What's on your mind, Doc? Well, is it all right to talk here? I mean, can anyone hear us? No, no, go ahead, talk. Listen, Scott, two of those bruises showed. What bruises? Furman, up under the hair, there were two bruises. But why didn't you tell me? I am telling you, Scott. You weren't here when I made my examination. You were off chasing some stick up hoodlums. This is the first time I've seen you since then. But why didn't you spill the stuff about Furman's bruises when you were testifying at the inquest, Ben? I'm a friend of yours. Do I want to put you in a spot where people say you drove this oh. fellow to suicide by third-degreeing him too rough? Oh, shucks, Doc. You're nuts. How bad was Furman's head? Well, that didn't kill him, if that's what you mean. There's nothing the matter with his skull, just a couple of bruises that nobody would notice unless they parted the hair. It killed him just the same. You and your friendship that... Hello. Yeah, Fritz. A couple of ladies? Who are they? Oh, okay, I'll wait. Uh, I've got to run along now, Scott. Okay, I'll see you later. Right. It's Fritz at the undertaking parlor. A couple of ladies want to see Furman's body. He's going to ask why. That's what I was going to tell you, Scott. When I was over there, I saw... Shh, the... Hello. Hello. 
Oh, are you one of the ladies who wants to see your Furman's wife? Mrs. Furman, hmm? Oh, then by all means, Miss Furman. Only, when you're through over there, I want you to come over to my office. I've got some things I want to ask you. Right. Well, what do you know about that? Furman's wife. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I saw him. And one of them's Hotshaw Randall, a babe with a record as long as your arm. She's one of that mob you had me working on in New York last summer. She know you? Sure, but not by my right name. She thinks I'm a Detroit rum runner. No, no, I mean, does she recognize you just now? I don't think she saw me. Anyway, she didn't give me a tumble. Okay, Wally, stick around a while, but stay out of sight. Maybe I'll be bringing these dolls back with me. Whatever you say, Chief. Come in. Chief Anderson? That's right. Mrs. Furman? Yes. This is my friend, Mrs. Crowder. Mrs. Crowder? Thought your name was Randall. <laughs> what do you care, Chief? I'm not hurting your town any. Okay. Now, before anybody says anything, I want to tell you something. Furman didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. Murder? My husband murdered? We got alibis. We were in New York. We can prove it. You're likely to get a chance. How'd you people happen to come down here? Murdered. Well, who's got a better right to come down here? She was still his wife, wasn't she? She's got a right to look out for her own interest, hasn't she? Yeah, that, uh, that reminds me of something. Excuse me just a second. I've got to make a phone call in the next room. Oh, oh take it easy. Hey, Hamill. Yeah, Chief? I want you to have someone get hold of that lawyer, uh, Wheelock, before he leaves town and tell him I want to see him. And uh, is Wally around? No, he's not here. He said you told him to keep out of sight. I'll find him for you, though. Right. Tell Wally I want him to go to uh, New York tonight. Send Mason home to get some sleep. He'll have to take over Wally's night trick. Okay. Mr. Anderson, do you think I had... that I had anything to do with Lester's... with his death? I don't know, Mrs. Furman. I know he was killed. I also know he left something like half a million. Uh, dollars? Dollars. All right, Chief. Now, now, don't be a clown. The kid here didn't have a thing to do with whatever you think happened. No? No, no. We read about Lester Furman committing suicide in yesterday morning's paper. And about there being something funny about it. And I persuaded her she ought to come down to Deerwood and... Mr. Anderson, I wouldn't have done anything to hurt Lester. I left him because I wanted to leave him, but I wouldn't have done anything to him for money or anything else. Well, if I'd wanted money from him, all I'd had to do would have been to just ask him for it. That's so. Well, he used to put ads in the paper telling me if I wanted anything to let him know, but I never did. You can ask his lawyer, Mr. Wheelock. Anybody who knew anything about it can tell you that. Yeah, that's the truth, Chief. For years I've been telling Ethel she was a chump not to tap him, but she never would. I had a hard enough time getting her to come for her share now that he's dead and got nobody else to leave it to. I wouldn't have hurt him. Why did you leave him then? Well, after the baby died, I, I just... Hey, excuse me. Oh, yeah, Hamill. Hmm? You gave Wally the message. Yeah, I want him to go to New York tonight. Okay, where is he, home? He is home, hmm? Okay, thanks. This circular's what got your husband in the jug, Mr. Furman. Did you ever see that picture before? No, I... What? Why, that... It can't be. It's a snapshot I had... have. It's an enlargement of it. Who else has one? No... Nobody that I know of. I don't think anybody else could have one. Have you still got yours? Yes, I... I don't remember whether I've seen it recently. It's with some old papers and things, but I must have it. Oh, Mrs. Furman, it's stuff like this that's got to be checked up. Neither one of us can dodge it. Now, there's two ways we can play. Yes. I can hold you here on suspicion till I've had time to check things up, 
or I can send one of my men back to New York with you for the checkup. I'm willing to do that if you'll speed things up by helping him all you can. And if you'll promise me, you won't try any tricks. I promise I'm as anxious as you are to track this down. All right, all right. How'd you come down? We drove. That's my car, the big green one across the street. Fine. Then my man can ride back with you. But no funny business. Funny shamany. What do you expect, huh? Huh? Oh, send him in. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Wheelock. Is this really Mrs. Furman? Yes, that's really her, all right. Uh, Fine. How do you do? You wait here, Wheelock. I'll be back in a little while. Come on, girls. Where are we going? We're going to solve a murder, sister. Who lives here? Wally Shane, my assistant. He's the man who's going to drive you to New York tonight. All right? Here we are. Wally? Who is it? Scott, Wally. Oh, come in. Ladies first. Harry. Harry! Hello, Ethel. You two know each other, huh? Well, shucks. We just sort of... Don't reach for that gun, Wally. I've got you covered. I guess you win, Scott. I guess I do. Why didn't you get out of town, Wally? No, it's Harry. You must have known when you saw these two women. I did. But when Hamill phoned and said you were going to send me to New York, I figured I was getting a break. You fooled me plenty on that one, Scott. Yeah. You gonna come along nice and quiet, Wally? Oh, shucks. Why not? Okay. And I'm afraid I've got to say it. Wallace Shane, I arrest you for the murder of Lester Furman. Comfortable in here, Wally? Can't complain. For a cell. Say, Scott. Hmm? You didn't just stumble on all this, did you? Nope. Furman had to be murdered by a copper. Only a copper would know reward circulars well enough to make a good job of forging one. Only a copper, one of my coppers, would be able to walk into Furman's cell, bang him across the head, and string him up. When you told me you knew the Randall woman, well... There it was. What got you like this, Wally? Oh, shucks. What gets most saps into jams? A yen for easy dough. I'm in New York, see, Scott? Working on that Dutton job for you. Then I run into this Ethel Furman, and she goes for me like a house afire. Like her, too, so that's dandy. But one night she tells me about how much dough her husband's got and how it would all come to her if... Well, I got to thinking... Thinking what? I think she's nuts enough about me to marry me. I still think she'd marry me if she didn't know I killed him. So anyway, I did it. I swiped that snapshot. I sent those circlers out to a lot of places. You know, not wanting to point too much to this one. And when I was ready, I phoned Furman and I told him to come to the Deerwood Hotel that night and sometime before the next night he'd hear from his wife, Ethel. I knew he'd fall for any trap that was baited with her. Oh, shucks. I guess I'm not as sharp as I thought I was. Maybe you are, Wally, but that doesn't always help. Old man Camsley's Ben's father, used to have a saying. To a sharp knife comes a tough steak. I'm... I'm sorry you did it, Wally. I always liked you. I know you did. I was counting on that, too, Scott. But... Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. 
Chester presents the Screen Guild Players. The Lady Esther Screen Guild play tonight, The Age of Innocence. The starring players... This is Merle Oberon. This is John Payne. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in the RKO picture, The Age of Innocence, a poignant story of old New York based on the famous novel by Edith Wharton. It stars Merle Oberon as Ellen Mingott and John Payne as Newland Archer. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in The Age of Innocence. See, I've only got two days leave. Why waste good time in an old picture album? <laughs> well, when you marry me, you marry my family. You want to know something about them, don't you? Well, I know you. That's enough for me. Oh, silly. This was my grandfather, Grandpa Newland. Hmm, sideburns, huh? What was he made up for? Johnny, don't be disrespectful. And this one was my grandmother, May. She was very young then. Hmm, not bad, not bad. Say, who's that other gal? Oh, that was Grandma's cousin, Ellen. She was a countess. Sure looks like she had plenty of zing. Mm, I've always thought she was very beautiful. You know, ever since I was a kid, I've wondered about her and asked about her, but the family never says very much, and... Well, sometimes I just wish she could talk. And if I could, if I could talk, what would I say? How could I make you understand... New York was different then. It was so formal and so prim. The so social customs rigid as milady's stays. And still I felt I must go back. I must go home. Although I knew there would be talk. Oh, yes. I knew how busy tongues would wag. My dear, have you heard? Ellen Mingott is back. But she lived in Europe for years and years. What in the world would bring her home now? They say she's left her husband, Count Olenska. There's been talk of a scandal. Oh, how simply disgraceful. Of course, she won't be accepted in decent society. Oh, you underestimate her grandmother, Mingott. You mean that Mrs. Mingott would even dare? Oh, yes, indeed. Tonight, in fact, she's bringing her to Mae Wellen's engagement reception. Granny, do you think I should have come? Doesn't New York society consider me suspect? Let society think what it wishes, Ellen. I made the rules here for 20 years. Granny! Oh, there's your cousin May now. Granny, Granny, here's Newland. I captured him for you. Hello there, Granny Mingott. Oh, what sort of a greeting is that, young man? Don't I get a kiss? You most certainly do. Oh, <laughs> makes me feel young again. <laughs> cousin May, I think we're lucky to get him in the family. <laughs> I think so, too. Newland, you remember my cousin Ellen? Ellen Mingott? Of course. <laughs> Just those few words. And then you smiled at me, Newland, and took my hand. And somehow in that very first moment, I think I knew why I'd come home. But it wasn't until later that evening we had a chance to talk alone. And really, I never meant to say what I did. 
It started as a simple conversation, quite proper, Did quite polite. Did you have a pleasant trip over, Countess? Very, thank you. I suppose you see lots of changes in New York. Yes, and in the people, too. The people? How? Oh, everyone is so kind to me now, and I left here broken-hearted my whole life over. But you were only a child. I was eight, and I'd suffered a very cruel disappointment. I'd been publicly snubbed by my secret hero. Why, not really. Oh, yes. It happened at Cousin May's birthday party. He wouldn't dance with me. I was too little. Why, the nasty little wretch. Yes, weren't you? You should have just... me. Are you trying to say that was... <laughs> really, you know, you were such a horrid little boy. But I don't understand. I, I mean that... <laughs> don't worry. I forgave you years ago. Are you sure? If you wish, I'll prove it. I'll give you that poor last dance right now. Now? You won't refuse me this time, will you? Why, of course not. <laughs> and I'll never believe that I ever did. If you'd only guessed what it meant to me, after all those weary years, to be home, to see you again, to hear your voice. But you belonged to May. You loved each other. I told myself I had no right. I must fill my life with something else. And so I tried. Not always wisely, perhaps, but I tried. And Granny was a little worried, I think. Is that you, Ellen? Come in. I'm just having my tea. Oh, Granny, how wonderful. How would you guess I'd be chilled to the bone? Well, if you must go driving in cold weather like this, uh, two lumps of sugar. Thanks. And I wasn't driving. I was walking. With whom, my dear? With Mr. Beaufort. A married man. I thought his wife would be along, but it seems she doesn't like the cold. Mmm, this tea is good. Ellen, you know what the Beaufort reputation is. No nice woman would be seen walking up Fifth Avenue with him in broad daylight. Darling, would you rather I'd walk with him at night? Would I rather you... Oh, that's very good. As good an answer as I've ever had. As a matter of fact, we were out on business. Mr. Beaufort helped me find a charming house. A house? Ellen, child, you're not leaving me. Darling, you've been very sweet, wanting me to stay with you. But it's time I set up for myself again. But in a house? Alone? I'll have my maid with me. Really, Granny, it'll be better that way. I won't have to see so much of... Well, of the family... And they'll feel less embarrassed, too. I mean, when the action starts. Action? What on earth are you talking about? I stopped in to see Mr. Blair today. I've asked him to get me a divorce. <gasps> a divorce? And there's no use arguing. My mind's made up, Granny. There's absolutely nothing you can say. Indeed there is, and I'll say it right now. I'll have another cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little early, I believe. I have an appointment with Mr. Blair. Yes, madame. This way, please. The Countess Olenska, sir. Come in, Ellen. Why, Newland. This is such a surprise. Why, you knew I was with Mr. Blair's firm. Yes, I did, in, in a way, but... Well, we had to, he had to leave for Washington quite suddenly, so he asked me to take over your case. Won't you sit down? Thank you. And how is May? She promised to come see my little house. Well, she's been so busy. You know they're leaving for Florida this week. Yes, of course. Newland, I'm so glad you're going to handle my case. Mr. Blair's so old, it's, it's hard to make him understand. He feels with the family that, that I'm making a mistake. Ellen, are you sure you aren't? But, 
But, Newland... If your husband chooses to fight the case, he'll say things... Well, things that'll be unpleasant, that will be painful and disagreeable to you. Yes, I know, but I thought you... Your family, the people who are fondest of you, feel that no advantage you might gain could possibly be worth the damage to your reputation. I see. You mustn't think I'm blaming you for anything that might have happened. You were lonely and unhappy. No, not always lonely. Newland, I'm not mincing words. You mustn't expect me to. I want my freedom. I'm not going to pretend. Pretend? I'm a woman who must have love, who must be loved. Do you think I'm horrible to say that? No. I think you're being very honest. Don't you see? Don't you think maybe it's not too late for me, even now? Maybe I can start all over, choose for myself, as you have. One from all the rest. Lover, companion, friend, everything. Like, well, like you and me. But there are so many others to think of. I... I thought you'd say that. Think of Granny Mingott. She loves you, Ellen. She'd stand by you, but it would break her heart. And all the rest of the family, if I didn't show you how they feel, what it would do to them, it wouldn't be fair of me, would it? No. No, it wouldn't be fair. Very well, I'll, I'll think it over. Ellen, if... if you only knew... I do so want to help. I, I know you do. Thank you, dear cousin. And Goodbye. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not... Big pardon, sir. Is anything wrong? Wrong? The whole confounded world is wrong. What was it, Newland? Was it just pity? Sympathy? A feeling of sorrow because I was lost? Or was it something else? What made you send me roses one day without a card? What took you past my house one afternoon? What made you pause... Turn halfway to the door, then hurry on again. And then, at last one evening, what was it really that brought you inside? I've been meaning to come see your house. <laughs> I rather like it, Ellen. I like it, too. Though, of course, the neighborhood isn't very fashionable. Newland, why is it that all your fashionable houses have to be the same color? <laughs> I guess we're because we're afraid of being different. It's something I've thought a good deal about lately. I must confess, I've been thinking about you, too. About me? Yes, I've changed my mind. I think you're entitled to your freedom. I want to help you get it. But, but what about all the things you said? It's your life and your happiness. You've a right to decide these things for yourself. The family. Oh, hang the family. The family's wrong, and so was I. I don't think so, Newland. But, Ellen, you wanted so much. I know. But I've been doing some thinking, too. It's better if I just forget about my divorce. Better for whom? Better for... for everyone. You're bringing in the family again. And now I'm only concerned with you and your happiness. Newland, do you really want me to be happy? Of course I do. Then you must run along and let me change. I'll be late for Granny's. Well, I'm... I'm very sorry. I didn't mean... <laughs> You're such a dear. By the way, when are you planning to be married? Not till next fall. May's family believes in long engagements. Oh, silly. You've known each other all your lives. Newland, will you do something for me? Anything? What? I do so want to see you happy. Write to me in Florida. Tell her you want to be married at once. Will you? Yes. I'll write tomorrow. Promise? I promise. Good night, then. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I never thanked you for the roses. Rose? How did you know? I sent no card. Newland, sometimes I wonder what you're going to be when you grow up. 
Good night. Newland, you tried too. You tried to deny what you had found in your heart. How carefully we managed not to meet or talk for fear that one of us might speak the truth. Long, lonely days and even lonelier nights. Until the Van Lydens asked me up for the weekend. I didn't know you'd be there, but you were. They'd asked you too. And then at last we were alone. You were so grave and quiet, but your eyes were eager. I think I was a little frightened then. I tried to make small talk. I said, this is such a lovely old room, isn't it? Newland? Hmm? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was saying it's, it's such a lovely old room. <laughs> the house has been here since 1610. The fire, too? Has it been burning on the hearth all these hundreds of years? No. I think it flamed into life when you came in, as everything else does. Alan, dear. Oh. Oh, please, we mustn't. They'll be getting back from church. I don't care. I don't care about anything in the world but you, Ellen. I can't fight anymore. I can't. Hold me close, Newland. Don't let me go. Oh, Ever. Darling. Darling. <gasps> but you're crying. Why? Because because I feel that, that all in one moment I'd been born and, and had died. But this is the first moment we've ever lived. It's all so simple for us now. And for May? May will understand. I'll tell her everything. She'll give me my freedom. Newland, she's so young, so innocent. We can't steal from her. How can you steal what she doesn't have? It's you I love, only you, Ellen. I'll go to her. I'll make her see it's my fault. Newland, you young scamp. Where are you? It's Granny. They're back. Well, this is where you've been hiding. We've a little surprise for you, young man. He's in here, May. May? Newland! Newton, darling! May, you're home... I thought that... We got in from Florida this morning. When I learned you were here... Oh, Newland, they've consented. Papa and Mom have consented, dearest. We're going to be married right away. Curtain falls on Act One of the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players. And now, Lady Esther presents the second act of The Age of Innocence, starring John Payne as Newland Archer and Merle Oberon as Ellen Mingott. Ellen continues our story. So terribly happy. We couldn't bear to break her heart. And so you were married, Newland, my dearest. And almost before I realized that you were gone, you and me, to Europe on your honeymoon. You were gone. But that didn't make it any easier for me. I was waiting, Newland, waiting for you. And then at last you were back. But I couldn't face you. Yes, I ran away that afternoon. I went to the park, hoping you'd be gone when I returned to the house. But they wouldn't have it that way. 
They sent you after me. Helen. Helen. Newland. Oh. I'm all out of breath. I've been walking so fast. I was so afraid I wouldn't find you. I was almost ready to shout. That, that's silly. I've been looking forward so long to seeing you. I thought perhaps you'd gone, and even now I can't believe it. It might all be a dream, only... Only? Only, only you're so much more than I remembered. Newland, you mustn't. I won't say anything you don't want me to. I promise I won't. If only you won't go away. If only I can see you sometimes, just, just to know you're near, to talk to you. Newland, they'll be waiting for us at Granny's. I think we'd better go back. Ellen, my dear. Yes? Why have you hidden yourself out here in the conservatory? Why have you run away from our party? Newland, please go back inside. If anyone found us out here together... Oh, don't worry. I won't even touch your hand. I wouldn't dare. If I did, I'd have to take you in my arms. You own. promised. You said that if I came tonight... I know I promised. I'd promise anything for the chance of seeing you. And then when I do, I forget my promises. I forget everything, but... Ellen, I've got to see you alone. No. Tomorrow afternoon. No. The Museum of Art. I'll be waiting for you. Newland. Yes? How many times have we met here like this? <laughs> I've never counted them. Each time I feel it's the first. Ellen, you're not going to stop. I'm afraid that Granny has an idea. Every afternoon now, she thinks of a thousand things she wants me to do. I know. Blair, too. He's sending me to Washington again tonight. Oh, for how long? Two or three days, perhaps a week. Sometimes I think they're all banded together, watching, pretending not to, trying to keep me from seeing you. Yes, I, I felt it, too. Ellen, I can't go on like this, living on a few stolen moments. I've got to tell May. I'll throw myself on her generosity and... And undo everything we've done to protect her? Besides, what would be the use? If the family dreaded my divorce, do you think for a moment they'd allow me? Then to the devil with the family. We'll go away. Away from everything. To some place where people can be free. And where is that place? Has anyone ever found it? Over there we think it's here. And here we think it's over there. We'll find it, darling. We'll find it together. Oh, my dearest, it's not fair. To know that life is slipping by and after that, only death and dust and oblivion and... Newland, take me to Washington with you tonight. But, May, my dear child, are you positive? Yes, Granny. We've been seen together, and Newland has seemed so strange, so far away. He's been kind, of course. What are you going to do about it? Well, Newland's going to Washington tonight. I thought I'd ask Ellen to stay with me. Perhaps if I could talk to her. Yes. Ellen loves you very much. And I love her. I really... Granny, where are you, darling? There she is. You can ask her now. In the sunroom, Ellen. Dearest, I didn't mean to be so long. Oh, May. Hello, Ellen. I came over to darling, ask you... Darling, not now. I'm in such a rush. I'm going out of town tonight. Out of town? Oh, I'll be back soon. And we can have a nice long talk. You'll excuse me, won't you? I've simply got to pack. Oh, Granny. 
You're not giving up. But if she's going away... She hasn't gone yet. Why don't you go upstairs? Maybe you can help her. Pack. Conductor, are you sure this is the only train for Washington? Yes, sir. All aboard, please. And, and that's the only gate? That's all. It's strange she said she'd be here. If anything has happened to her... We're starting, sir. You getting on? I... No, Conductor, I've changed my mind. Jenkins, is Countess Olenska here? Why, no, sir, she's gone. How long ago did she leave? Oh, I should say they left they? about... Uh, you mean someone was with her? The family, sir. They're seeing her off. I understand it was quite sudden, sir. Seeing her off sudden? Jenkins, what are you trying to say? The Countess is sailing for Europe, sir. And so, once more you came to me, Newland, after all the others had gone... There was only the barest moment left. You looked so wild and angry as you came striding down the deck. Helen! Helen! Darling, what's the meaning of this? Newland, I didn't expect to see you. I'm... I'm so glad you came to say goodbye. Goodbye? But, darling, our plans are... Newland, Newland, please. It has to be this way. Who says it has to be this way? Who says it has to be? Darling, please help me. Don't make it any harder. Did you really think you could do this to us? Oh, my dearest, please. I don't blame you for not wanting to hide our love in the dark as though we're ashamed of it, but to run away like this... Darling, there's the whistle. I have to go. I warn you, I'll be coming over on the next boat. I'll follow you. If it's just to touch your hand, I'll follow you across the world. Newland, Newland, listen to me, dear. I love you for saying that. I love you for all the things you are. I'd ask nothing more than that our dreams come true. But your place is here. Your wife and your child. Child? May told me about it this afternoon. A child? I didn't know. All visitors ashore, please. All visitors ashore. This is goodbye, Newland. And yet, it's not goodbye. Wherever I go, whatever I do, you'll be with me, darling, in my heart, through all my life. Through all that might come afterward. Newland, my dearest. I've always loved you. I always will. Always. Say, Nancy. Hey, Nancy. Hmm? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. I, I was dreaming over this picture, I guess. Johnny, do you think she had a happy life? Well, two will get you five. All you have to do is look at her. I'll bet she was the happiest of the whole darn lot.
If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow The Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about The Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.